You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Chris and Nick Show here on Big Blue View Radio. I am Nick Filato, joined as always by Chris Flum. We are here to briefly go over the Giants' 24-20 to victory over the Baltimore Ravens. The Giants now sit at 5-1 and one before traveling to Jacksonville, Florida to play the Jags. Chris, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Love to hear it. A lot of people around Giants Nation are doing pretty well right now because nobody, Chris, expected the New York Giants to ascend to 5-1. and one. So let's, let's discuss some of the key talking points and some of the critical moments in this Ravens victory. One of the overall takeaways that I looked at when, when going over the film was just how much better the Giants' offensive line played in pass protection, specifically Evan Neal, number seventh overall pick. And I think that's really important because the Giants, the last two weeks, they won both those games. That's awesome. But ever since week three, the Giants' offense has basically been run play action, run play action boot, play action rollout, and get Daniel Jones on the run and use his athletic ability. And that was the offensive game plan whenever they wanted to pass the football. But in this game, there were a lot more true pass sets. There were a lot more to sit in the pocket, have Daniel Jones go through his progression and find the open receiver. And I got to say, the protection held up well, and Kafka did a good job using the running backs and protection. And I got to say, they progressed so much in their ability to locate the blitz and then execute the block, and also tight ends, wing backs, and things like that. But also, Daniel Jones is doing an excellent job in those situations, finding the open receiver, he seems much more comfortable in this offense than he was previously in previous offenses. Yeah, you know, complimenting the Giants' pass protection is a little odd in a, a game where they gave up four sacks, but I'm kind of with you on it. Uh, a lot of the the pressure the Ravens were able to generate came up the middle. And from what I saw, a lot of it was just guys either missing stunts twists uh actually in some ways falling for the same kind of simulated pressure that the giants and wicked martindale kind of love to throw at offenses or just getting bowled back you know momentarily losing leverage and big strong good defensive tackles doing what big strong good defensive tackles do yeah Andrew Thomas, he, he's got that ankle. Uh, he wound up having it heavily taped by the end of the game. That, I think, might be a little bit of a concern going forward, something to watch. But you know, he has played the way we have become accustomed to him playing. And Evan Neal has, I think, taken some steps forward, which is what we expected. You know, the When the season started and he had a problem not bringing his feet with him, getting straight leg, lunging, a lot of waist bending at edge rushers. There were some Giants fans who panicked, and we tried to tell you, rookie tackle, it's going to be a process for him. And I think we are starting to see him really start to get his feet underneath him at the NFL level, uh, no pun intended. 
I think another reason why when we look at it, yeah, four sacks, one of them was on the first play of the game, and that's when we we're all like, oh, Jesus, <laughs> this could be rough, Chris. But that was pure hands to the face on John Feliciano that was not called on the rookie from Connecticut Jones. And then another one of the sacks was at the end of the half when Daniel Jones is just trying to do a Hail Mary. That's the one where he fumbled. Another one was when Daniel Jones stepped up into the pocket and tried to pick up yards with his legs, and Justin Matabuke, who had an excellent game for the Ravens, ends up kind of sacking him at the line of scrimmage. So four sacks looks bad, but context, I believe, matters in this case. I still think the Giants' protection has some issues, specifically with Mark Lewinsky, who's an excellent run blocker, and John Feliciano, who is a good run blocker. But both of them were struggling with the power of Calais Campbell, Justin Matabuke, and some of these other guys who were on the defensive line for the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, and that, I think, is just kind of going to be a recurring issue for the Giants. Yeah. We noted, we noted, you know, all along that Joe Shane was, he really had his back up against the wall trying to build a functional offensive line for the Giants. And he couldn't go out and get all-stars. He couldn't shop at the top of the market. He had to find bargains and deals where he could. And when you do that, guys are going to have warts. But all things considered, they're playing well. They're playing well, Chris. And one thing, too, because we brought up at the top of the show, the protection and Daniel Jones, and they're kind of married when I bring up this point. It's how effective Jones and the protection, with help, has been on these third and long situations. Like The Giants drive the 10-play drive where they drove down the field on their first touchdown. I believe it was a 53-yard drive to answer the Ravens' previous touchdown on the previous drive. That's a very huge, pivotal drive in this game, even though it's so early, because the Giants converted on a third and 14, and they converted on a third and 12 on that drive. Like Daniel Jones delivers a strike to Darius Slayton, who runs a great route against cover two to flow away from the flat defender, go around him, release around him, then kind of encapsulate him and then sit between that flat defender and the middle hook defender. And I felt like Daniel Jones did a great job delivering a nice, hard strike on that third and 14 to keep the sticks moving. Then on third and 12, he finds Wandell Robinson on a beautifully designed bunch whip route from the number one wide receiver who was Wandell Robinson, who whipped outside, pivoted back inside. Wandell Robinson put Kyle Hamilton, a big blue view favorite of ours, into a spin cycle. And I think you and I can both agree, this is not a Ravens podcast, but that is not the best way to use Kyle Hamilton is to get him isolated against a smaller, shiftier receiver because he got cooked in college. Wandell Robinson is going to own him in those types of situations. And I felt like Kafka and Dable did a great job positioning Wandell Robinson in this place to allow Daniel Jones to fire this strike on a third and 12 to move the sticks and get the Giants into the red zone. Yeah, the, one of the things w in this game and really throughout the season for the Giants that I keep coming back to is how well their plays are designed, you know, just in general, and then the ones that they go to in these high leverage situations, how Dayball and Kafka, they don't put too much on any one player. They're not asking any one player to carry this team. You know, even Saquon Barkley, you know, they're using Jones's athleticism. They're not using it quite as much as before he had that ankle issue a couple weeks ago, but they're using him, rolling him out, getting him away from pressure. So that kind of takes some pressure off of the offensive line to hold up in pass protection. They're 
moving his launch angle. They're stressing the defense, both vertically and horizontally, with their alignments, their spacing, and how they're layering the routes they're using. So Jones doesn't have to go through a five-read progression to find the open man. It's either the shallow guy or the intermediate guy and they're doing such a good job of putting defenders in conflict that one of those guys is going to be open 100 chris not to mention i feel like this coaching staff does an excellent job using guys initially in protection and then chipping them and then releasing them underneath for just an easy passing option for daniel jones and a lot of the times one of the beneficiaries of that is daniel bellinger and you get like eight nine yards on some of those plays it just keeps moving the football down the field and you look at the two touchdown passes by daniel jones one is just simple football but we didn't see a lot of it last year the wandell robinson touchdown you just align in a bunch wandell robinson is the number three off the line of scrimmage and you just release marcus johnson and david sills to create traffic against man coverage which baltimore ravens were in and you have wandell robinson release tempo is released and then go underneath the release of the number one and number two receiver and what does that do it just creates a pick that's all it is it's a simple rub route a simple pick route and wandell robinson ends up catching it and getting a touchdown but Plays like that, we didn't necessarily see all that much in the previous regime. So I felt like that touchdown was great. And do you have anything on that before we get into the Daniel Bellinger one? No, I I think you did a really good job of describing it. And like you said, we we haven't seen a whole lot of that, especially from the uh, Jason Garrett-led offense where you know, he tried to install his Air Coriel uh based offense that didn't really work and then between the injury to Saquon Barkley the injury to Daniel Jones over the two years he was kind of left scrambling and it just kind of turned into some mutant Frankenstein offense that had ISO routes that didn't really work with the Giants personnel and yeah just nothing really worked except for like those counter tray runs for Wayne Gallman. That was about the only thing Jason Garrett did that worked for the Giants. Those counter trade runs did work well. And it is Halloween season, so I'm glad that you brought up Frankenstein. But the Daniel Bellinger touchdown, I mean, the Giants just successfully ran the football four straight times. One of them was a quarterback sneak, but it was on a third and one. But they successfully ran the football four straight times. And then they hit the Baltimore Ravens with a play action to the boundary side rolling Daniel Jones to the field side, which is against the grain for him. And you have two route, you have three routes breaking over the middle of the field, but two from the the play action side of the field. There's David Sills and Daniel Bellinger, who look like they're running the same exact route. But David Sills just basically occupies both the defenders out of the break because he goes right at Josh Bynes and angles upward, which forces Chuck Clark to sink. And that just allows Daniel Bellinger to come open. And if you watch the play, Daniel Bellinger does such a smart thing, such an excellent thing. And I'm pretty sure Daniel Jones praised him after the game for this. Daniel Bellinger stops his route from flowing laterally into an underneath zone. Instead, he just sits. He feels the coverage, has the spatial awareness, and just sits. And he's in the same exact page with Daniel Jones, who knows he's going to sit because he read the coverage as well. Daniel Jones has a guy right in his face. He just delivers a strike. And Daniel Bellinger, rookie tight end Daniel Bellinger, rookie tight ends, Chris, they don't really have that much success in their first season all that often. And Daniel Bellinger comes into this offense and he's having plays designed for him, multiple plays in the red zone designed for him every damn game. Earlier in the game, there was a, the, the Giants kind of stole something from the Green Bay Packers, it looked like, and they ran a play action fake reverse and tried to get Daniel Bellinger to leak out into the into the end zone like Mercedes Lewis 
did against the Giants in London last week, but it didn't work. It's just this offense trusts this young rookie so much. And I feel like Giant fans should just look at this kid and be like, dude, the Giants right now have one of the best rookies at tight end position. And nobody thought that heading in just because he wasn't used as a receiver. He's smart. He's tough. He's one heck of a blocker for a rookie. And he keeps making plays on Sunday. Yeah, the, the Giants really don't have a choice but to trust him, just considering the rest of what they have on their offense as far as receiving options go, and also, frankly, options at tight end. And he really is repaying that trust, which also just to look, give a little side eye to past regimes, you know, how many other young players did the Giants kind of let rot on the vine as opposed to trusting and trying to incorporate their skill sets specifically yeah, rather than, you know, force them either have them ride the pine or for, kind of shoehorn them into what the previous regime thought should the, the way they thought they should play. Exactly. And, and, and you think, look, look at this, look at this team right now, Daniel Bellinger, huge contributor. Wandell Robinson's back healthy, huge contributor. Kayvon Thibodeau, huge contributor. Evan Neal, huge contributor. All of these rookies that are healthy because there are a lot of rookies who are out with injuries right now, but the healthy rookies are all contributed and the Giants are sitting at five and one. I mean, that's just not something that typically happens in the NFL. No, not at all. Yeah, this I think could go down as one of the Giants' best rookie classes. Now, there's still a lot of football yet to be played. We don't want to start putting these kids in Canton yet. But so far, they are they are really kind of the driving force, that and the Giants' coaching, which I think is unlocking these players' potential early on. They're the driving force behind this fast start the Giants have gotten off to. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Think about it, Chris. We, we watch a lot of NFL, right? You look around the league, and we're only six games into this regime right now for Brian Dable. But you look around the league, and I see Nathaniel Hackett. I see Brandon Staley. I see coaches like this, and some of these rosters are much more talented than what the New York Giants have right now, yet those teams seem like they don't want to win football games. Obviously, they do, but their coaching is significantly holding their personnel back, and then you peer over at the Giants right now, and you can even group the Jets into this, and I haven't studied the Jets film extensively, but from what I see, those guys are playing really, really hard. But let's focus on the Giants, because let's be honest, it's a Giants podcast, and you know who cares about the Jets? 
this coaching staff, Chris, is doing everything in their power to maximize every single one of these guys on the roster. And that's not just coach speak. Every coach says they're going to do that. This coaching staff actually is doing that. And if they continue to do this, I think this coaching staff is going to look different next year. Because even if the Giants go to the playoffs, maybe even win one playoff game and then get bounced, I think a lot of owners around the league are going to look at the Giants and say, we want Mike Kafka as our head coach. And they're going to take that kind of jump. Even though it's so quick, it's accelerated. But the fact that he comes from Andy Reid's tree and that he has this team as competitive as they are, as creative as they are, I don't know, man. I think that's something that obviously we'll have to tackle at the end of the year. It's a testament to the 2022 Giants, and I'm just hoping that this coaching staff can stay together because I really feel like the Giants have something special right now. Yeah, just spinning ahead, I'd be a little bit more worried about Wink Martindale uh, getting poached than Mike Kafka just because this is Kafka's first year as an offensive coordinator. But Chris, and, man, you know this league. You know this league I is do. looking. You, you know I this do. league. And I agree, man. I 100% agree. But you know this league is looking for that next Sean McVay, that next Kyle Shanahan, that next hot new offensive mind who is young. And I think they're going to see – Wow, this guy did this with Daniel Jones. Oh, okay, well, Daniel Jones must be throwing to Devontae Adams or, you know, vintage Calvin Jones. Oh, no, he's throwing to Richie James and David. So, hmm, okay. Well, they do have Saquon Barkley. Yeah, I'll give him that. But I think they're going to look at the Giants' offensive situation and be like, could you imagine what Mike Kafka would do if, if, if he is the coach of, say, a Justin Herbert or, or a player like that? And that's not a slight on Daniel Jones. I'm just saying I think that's what these owners are going to look at. Whereas, Wink Martindale, he's older, which is great. Everyone plays for him. I think he would make a great head coach, but he has a defensive mind, and I do feel like the, the NFL right now is much more trending towards offensive young coaches. Oh, they, they definitely are. And we are we keep spinning away from this being a Giants podcast, but I think the, these are things we need to start talking about and thinking about. And I do hope the Giants, Brian Dable, Joe Shane, have some contingency plans in place, you know, just in case they're coaching staff does get rated in the coming offseason, which is honestly a great place to be in for the Giants. You know, we we thought Patrick Graham might get snaked a couple times, but that never really happened. Yeah, I I do think he he's a reasonably young coach who does deserve a shot. But I, I could see Kellen Moore and Mike Kafka being the two hot coaches, if not in this cycle, this coaching cycle, then the next one. But let's get back to the game. You're right, Chris. We are straying. We're putting the cart before the horse, but it is something I just kind of wanted to throw out on people's radars because it's a reality of this business in the NFL. This Giants defense, man. This Giants defense, we got. We saw Kayvon Thibodeau come away with a strip sack fumble that ended up sealing the Giants' victory. We saw Julian Love's interception off the bad snap. That was a really terrible play by Lamar Jackson, who was a phenomenal quarterback. And Julian Love said after the game he was just baiting Lamar the entire time. And if you watch the film, you could see it. He is truly just baiting Lamar Jackson. But there were two sequences of plays, Chris, that I wanted to break down. And first, I'm going to start with the first one. It was on the second Ravens drive, the 11-play, 46-yard drive, where Justin Tucker, which is, I know, it's probably snowing in Arizona right now, and I'm talking (laughs) about Phoenix, not Flagstaff, misses a 56-yard field goal. But the reason he missed this 56-yard field goal is because the Giants, after that Josh Oliver play that was that standard after it was challenged and I think it was the right call to stand even though it does hit the ground it doesn't seem like Josh Oliver lost control of it but the Giants come out on the next three plays and just absolutely stop 
the Baltimore Ravens. You have the long pass. Lamar Jackson tried to throw a touchdown to Demarcus Robinson, played very well by Julian Love, who got back in phase, worked across the field, and then worked underneath the catch point to just knock the pass away from Demarcus Robinson. Patrick Ricard, false start penalty. So now you have second and 15, where J.K. Dobbins just gets gobbled up by O'Shane Zimenez. Great play by Zimenez. Great play by Julian Love to fill, forcing forcing J.K. Dobbins to bounce outside. And then the third and 16 pass, where Lamar Jackson just kind of wasn't on the same page with Kenyon Drake in the flat. That set up a fourth and 16, set up that field goal attempt that was missed. And little plays like this and sequences of plays like this, I just feel like the Giants defense always come up on the on the positive end of this. And they have one a little bit later in the game that I want to go over as well. Yeah, it, it was really honestly surprising. The, the When the Ravens were on the field, the, the Giants defense, there were a few things that were honestly really almost – stunning to me and part of it was how sloppily the Ravens played in certain situations like the one you talk about the Patrick Ricard false start penalty on on the first drive Morgan Moses having that false start penalty that the Ravens had three or four false starts in the first quarter and this is a veteran well-coached team and for them to play like that was honestly surprising to me you know, you you could see the Giants playing like that. You know, a team that's you know hyped up, a lot of very young players. But the Giants, they're not doing that. They're keeping their cool all game long. They're playing the full sixty minutes, and then you have the the veteran Ravens. They're the ones really shooting themselves in the foot. And you know, we talked about this immediately after the game. How it's those the hidden yards, the 74 yards, the the Ravens lost due to penalties, just pushing themselves back just by a little bit each time. You know, that, that those five yards from that false start were probably the difference between Justin Tucker making and missing that field goal. That's three points off the board and significantly better starting field position for the Giants on the next drive. Then you have, you know, at the end of the game, that sequence, you know, talking about, you know, sequences that had an impact. You have the alignment penalty on the Ravens, the illegal formation that takes a first down off the board, leads directly to that terrible snap slash interception. And this is honestly a stunning stat to me. Over the course of eight plays from that first down that wasn't, to the Kayvon Thibodeau sack fumble that basically ended the game, the Ravens went from having a 97% chance of winning to a 1% chance of winning. That For a team like the Ravens, that is unbelievable. It's unbelievable, and it's fantastic. Chris, and there were other moments too, man, that I looked at the Baltimore Ravens and I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like the third and five play where Daniel Jones found Saquon Barkley for four yards was going to set up a fourth and one. And then Adafi Owe punches Ben Bredesen in the face when Ben Bredesen has his helmet ripped off by Adafi Owe. That's an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. And then the Giants move the football because of that 15 yards they end up getting a field goal on the drive to bring the score to 13 to 10 little mistakes like that little undisciplined plays from the Baltimore Ravens led to the New York Giants or helped the New York Giants win this football game. And another thing that helped the New York Giants win this football game was the was their defense on that second sequence that I wanted to go over. And on that second sequence, 
the Ravens drove the football down. And on five plays, Chris, the Ravens had five first downs. They were just driving the football. This is the first drive of the second half. They end up completing a a 14-yard pass to Mark Andrews, a 21-yard run by Kenyon Drake, an 18-yard pass to Mark Andrews, and then an 11-yard rush by Lamar Jackson to set the Ravens' offense up first and five at the goal. First and goal with five yards to go is what I should say. And then the Giants' defense just absolutely solidified. If anybody wants to see a breakdown of the two sequences that I'm talking about, I did a video on Big Blue View. It's out there YouTube. Go to BigBlueView.com and check that out. I feel like it's informative of just how Wink Martindale was able to drop guys off the line of scrimmage and create blitzes and occupy blockers and waste blockers. Wink Martindale's a master at doing this. And we knew that when he was a defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens, but now we're seeing it with the Giants personnel, and I couldn't be happier about it because there are guys coming in free at Lamar Jackson. And then there are like two offensive blockers who are just standing there because those offensive blockers had to pay respect to guys who they thought initially were going to come because the Giants disguised their blitz packaging and load the line of scrimmage so damn well. Yeah, and and I do kind of want to take a second because we spent a lot of time talking about the offensive scheme in this game and how well Mike Kafka and Brian Dayball are putting guys in position to succeed and really succeed easily. And I think we do need to take a second or maybe even a little bit longer than a second to talk about how Wink Martindale dealt with the, the Ravens offense, because the Ravens have a very, very unconventional offense, which when you have a talent like Lamar Jackson, that gives you the freedom to scheme in ways that NFL defenses just are not built to counter, even in this modern era. And, one of the things that really jumped out to me was how Martindale didn't really, he didn't devote a defender to account for Lamar Jackson. Yeah. There were a couple times I saw uh, an edge defender or something. Sometimes it was Jihad Ward. Sometimes it was some other guys uh, dropping off as part of a simulated pressure and the edge would, would be, would have, would keep his eyes on Lamar Jackson, but the Giants didn't have a dedicated spy. And part of that, I think, is just recognizing they don't really have anyone who can do what Lamar Jackson can do athletically. And you know, that, that's fair. That's no slight against the Giants. There are very few athletes on the face of the earth that can do what Lamar Jackson does you know, in the open field with his legs. But rather, I, I really liked how Wink Martindale just tried to slow down and confuse the Ravens' defense, or I'm sorry, their offense as a whole with those simulated pressures by showing blitz and then dropping defenders back into coverage. And it was never quite the ones you would expect. And also, the way he used those amoeba defenses where you'd have maybe just Dexter Lawrence with his hand on the dirt and the other six, seven defenders around the line of scrimmage, just kind of milling around, never really declaring what gap they're going to play. And that really slowed down. I thought the, the Ravens blocking scheme and it slowed down Lamar Jackson's process, his mental process, his decision-making. It, it wasn't a lot. But it definitely had an effect. And yes, the the Ravens did have well over 400 yards of offense. But 
all told, they were the Giants were able to slow them down enough so that they weren't gashing the Giants on every single play, and they weren't just sprinting down the field and into the end zone. I don't know how much of it is the Giants just not having someone athletically capable. I just think a lot of it was Wink Martindale and the defense they're going to contain Lamar Jackson, but they're going to do it in an unpredictable manner and they're going to vary it up. So they don't set any kind of trend. And the way they were doing it was they would load up the line of scrimmage. And we know the Ravens like to run a lot of 12, a lot of 21 type of personnel. Patrick Ricard can align that tackle sometimes. Like literally they would have him as that big tight end slash tackle. And then they would drop, you know, Dane Belton off and, and not send him on the rush. And he would just be spying the left side of the line of scrimmage while the Giants run some sort of twist on the right side. Like on the second and five, first quarter, 246 left, the Giants free up Dexter Lawrence by running Jihad Ward through the inside shoulder of the guard to pick the center. Dexter Lawrence is a nose initially. And then what does that do? It takes two offensive linemen for the Ravens to occupy Jihad Ward because of Ward's path. And it just frees up Dexter Lawrence with Leonard Williams trying to go high side against Ronnie Stanley. And this was an incomplete pass where Dexter Lawrence gets a nice hit on Lamar Jackson and all game. I felt like the Giants were tasking their edges, and Wink Martindale does this with his edge rushers. Edge rushers aren't just pinning their ears back, always going right after the the quarterback. Some of the times they're sitting high side. Some of the times they're respecting the the B gap. You know, they're not, they're, they're they're containing Lamar Jackson. They're not giving Lamar Jackson these easy rush lanes. So it wasn't just like the Madden quarterback spy that is just sitting there watching the entire time. There are guys who are multiple guys dropping off the line of scrimmage and monitoring Lamar Jackson while also kind of dropping to a depth. To, to remove any kind of inside crossing routes. So those guys are executing multiple assignments to remove Lamar Jackson's threat with his arm and his legs. And I felt like it was a very creative way to, to handle a skill set like Lamar Jackson, who is rare even in the NFL world. Yeah, and you know, talking about players and their legs, one thing I think we do need to keep an eye on is the yards on the ground the Giants gave up to... Kenyon Drake in particular, but the the Ravens ru- runners just in general. Yeah, the the Giants run defense, they got the job done overall. And yes, Lamar Jackson, when he scrambles, his agility and burst make him a very, very tough tackle. And he was able to pick up a couple first downs or very close to first downs just on broken plays and one designed quarterback run. But I did notice the Giants kind of over pursuing on uh, counter runs, pin pull runs, particularly when Kenyon Drake had the ball in his hands and just looking ahead a little bit, the Giants have another game against Dallas Cowboys and Tony Pollard Uh, this week coming up. They've got Travis Etienne, who is kind of a similar runner to Kenyon Drake just with his burst and speed and we know how Doug Peterson likes to use his running backs so that's something I think we really should keep an eye on going forward but also something I think Wink Martindale the Giants coaches are going to button down they're going to attempt to button it down I think the Ravens rush run a very difficult rushing scheme to defend and one of the primary reasons for that is just having Lamar Jackson as your quarterback because you're removing a defender from the play just to respect Lamar Jackson. Every time Lamar Jackson went into the mesh point, the defender responsible for Lamar Jackson, the quarterback, had to stay put. So now whenever Lamar Jackson hands the football off, you don't have that backside defender in pursuit on Kenyon Drake. And then to the front side of the play, 
they ran a lot of counter. They ran a lot of pullers, sometimes two pullers. A lot of it was Patrick Ricard and then the backside guard with Kevin Zeitler. And a lot of the times, man, the Giants were slanting inside and then replacing that slanting defender with a linebacker. And that linebacker would set up and get kicked out right away. And then it would be basically like Julian Love or Dane Belton in the rushing lane against Kevin Zeitler with an alley defender coming from mad depth. And that's one of the reasons why Kenyon Drake was able to run 21 yards here, 30 yards here. It's not because Kenyon Drake is just, you know, reclaiming his career at this point. A lot of it was scheme. A lot of it was the Giants having lighter personnel. A lot of it was what the Giants were doing defensively to try and stop the Ravens. And then the Ravens just calling an excellent play call at that time against the New York Giants. A lot of it was just the chess match between the coordinators. Yeah, and I, I did notice the the Ravens used uh, used the mesh point a lot in this game. It seemed like they were having a mesh of some sort almost every single play. Which again, when you have a, a player like Lamar Jackson, that's just smart. That's just good coaching right there. You know, as many issues as the Ravens had with discipline over the course of the game, they do understand who they are. They understand you know, the players they have at their disposal. And the way they use Lamar Jackson, the way they use uh, Mark Andrews, it, it is just smart. And I look at the Ravens, and I think ultimately that is the type of the type of team the Giants want to be as they continue to flesh out this roster, as they get these really young, talented rookies to grow and mature in the NFL. And yeah. The, that to me is exciting because I really do enjoy watching the Ravens play football. As do I. And a lot of those runs were also against dime personnel where there was only one linebacker on the field. One of them was against nickel. And one of the ones that was against dime personnel, Dane Belton just over pursued, like you said, wildly to the outside and removed himself from the play. Those are rookie mistakes. It's typically not something that he does consistently as a safety, basically execute linebacker type of assignment. So I think it's correctable. But Chris, do you have anything else on this game? This Giants win the five and one New York Giants? You know, I don't, I, I, I still think, you know, we, we don't know what is coming from these giants. I think from week to week, I think, yeah, you scolded me after our live stream for not patting myself on the back. And you started off this, this podcast by saying, nobody thought the giants were going to win. I did pick them to win (laughs) and they won just like I thought they would by staying disciplined and taking advantage of opponents' mistakes, and yeah, I, I don't think I don't... said nobody thought the Giants would win because I I, I was know, saying, uh, dear listeners, I said that, that no back. one thought the Giants would be five and one. I think that's what I said because I I picked the Ravens to win this game, but I completely saw a path to where the New York Giants could win this football game. I was not necessarily overly scared of the Ravens, although I was scared of Lamar Jackson, but I thought it would go down to the wire where the Ravens would get like basically the fourth quarter luck, which did not happen. So I will welcome the Denny's breakfast on my face, the egg on my (laughs) face in that manner. But I did not think that the Giants had no chance that the Giants are in a position right now, Chris, in my opinion, where they have a chance against every single team they go up against and teams should not be looking at the New York Giants and say, that's a win because the Giants are way too tough and way too resilient and way too prepared and way too well coached to be considered in that light. Yeah, the Giant, these Giants are absolutely willing to let opponents beat themselves, and these Giants are also capable of taking the fight to pretty much any team they go up against. Yeah, I, 
I'm not sure how much I would like them against the Chiefs or the Bills at this point because, you know, those two teams are, they're on another level. But for the most part, the Giants, I think, can compete with pretty much any other team in the league. Now, they they absolutely have to play a clean game. They have to execute. They have to stay disciplined. Yeah, they they don't have the kind of margin for error that some of the other teams have. And I think that could lead to some wild and unpredictable games as this season goes on. But also, I honestly feel like right now sitting here, I don't really care what happens the rest of the way out. As far as I'm concerned, this season is already an unmitigated success. Yeah, this coaching staff and brain trust have proven themselves to me. I trust them. As do I. And I know what you're saying, but I know deep down you want them to continue to win as well. Well, yeah, but like I said, (laughs) a a meteor could hit MetLife Stadium. And I would say, you know what? Season, this this has been a good season. This has been a successful season. And like I said, yeah, from the very first game, Brian Dayball has been playing with house money and he just keeps rolling that house money over. He keeps rolling that house money over and he's getting rich, my friend. And I could not be happier about that, ladies and gentlemen. But thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Chris and Nick show here on Big Blue View Radio. Please head on over to BigBlueView.com for all of our written content. Also, subscribe, like, comment on the podcast. That can go a long way for us. Thank you so much, everyone, and have a lovely day. Claude 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.